Chris Gowser here with Matt Owl. On this episode of The First Run, Matt and I are going to discuss Ty West's latest film, X. Matt, after the fantastic House of the Devil, for me, the underwhelming The Innkeepers, and I think the solid The Sacrament, West returns with his kind of loving tribute to 70s slasher films. Matt, the kids seem to love it, but what if it's not scary, and does that even matter? Then there's a psychological super hot sexy thriller featuring super sexy Ben Affleck and super duper sexy Ana de Armas. And what does J-Lo think of all of this? That's right. It's Ben Affleck, but not Ben Affleck's peen, which I think is unfair. <laughs> In deep water, currently on Hulu. There's the thrill review with the big releases on physical media featuring our streaming and straight to DVD picks of the week. And then Matt and I are going to close out the big show with our anniversary countdown. Episode 600, Matt, is around the corner. We're counting down our 50 favorite films. This week, it's films 20 through 11. We're so close. Mm -hmm. We'll see how many people I can upset this week. But let's start everything off with a clip from X. I've seen you sneaking a few long peeks at Jackson over here. No, I I wasn't looking. You don't mind none. She's right. Oh my! No offense. Everybody likes sex. It's a guess. We're just not afraid to admit it. Queer, straight, black, white. It's all disco. You know why? Because one day we're gonna be too old to fuck, and life's too short if you ask me. Roger that. The fact of the truth of the matter is, we turn folks on, and that scares them. And they can't look away neither. That's right. We're like a foxy car wreck. <laughs> I added that part. Matt, the fact of the truth of the matter. <laughs> I like the fact of the truth of the matter. So, Matt, what is Ty West's X all about? So, it's uh, mid to late 70s. I don't exactly remember when. In Texas. Um, 79, a- per the Wikipedia. 79. Okay, thank you. A strip club owner or manager gets a a couple girls, a a stunt cock, and some uh, film students and goes out to... You don't know that! What you blowing up my buddy Kid Cuddy's shop for? What do you mean? When you say the SC word, you're referring to Kid Cuddy's beautiful silhouette shot about halfway through the film? No, I'm just talking (laughs) about how, in general... In the oh, when they make these types of films nowadays, so they yeah, like the guy doesn't matter. He's just yeah, he's just there basically. I I misunderstood. I thought you were defaming Kid Cudi's. Yeah, but, I mean that thing wasn't real. I mean you know you, it's not real. You don't know that. Well, I I know that because they literally showed a full on peen like thirty seconds before that. So why would they hide that one from a thousand feet away and in shadow? I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not going to do that to my buddy, Cuddy. <laughs> so continue after I've derailed your opening. So there's something about a stunt cock. Yeah, yeah. So they, they get uh, they get a crew together. They decide they're going to go make out a uh, a porno that's going to be bigger than Debbie Does Dallas. They rent a boarding house um, for the weekend in on a farm in the middle of nowhere and don't tell the, the owner what they're up to. And who boy, that was a bad idea, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly was. You know, but it's not just a horror film, Matt. It's a sweet romance about, Mm. you know, being able to keep that flame amongst couples ignited even into your twilight years. Right, right. And all the horrible mass murder that that entails. Matt, I enjoyed X. Okay. But I didn't find it particularly scary. Right. And it made me think. 
with a horror film. Does it really need to be scary? Because in the film Twitter bubble that the show runs through, that seems to be the prevailing thought that maybe it's not a terrifying film per se for Mm -hmm. some people, Mm -hmm. but it's still very good. What are your thoughts? Does a horror film need to be scary? What are your thoughts on X? I mean, I don't think necessarily. And did you find it scary? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, there were parts that I found kind of suspenseful, maybe a little unsettling. Um, but I think, I think at the most part, no, I don't think it's scary. Um, but I mean, let's be honest. I mean, especially as you get older and having lived on a diet of these things for however many decades, I mean, you kind of get jaded to what you see. It's really hard for anything to be scary anymore, right? But I think a horror film, you know, is successful if it's unsettling, if it's uh, if it kind of makes you wince at what you're seeing on screen. I think those are valid ways to kind of approach a horror film because being horrifying doesn't necessarily mean being scared it just means being Mm -hmm. repulsed kind of thing so and that's that's a a valid way to do that and that's obviously what ty west was going for here i don't hold it against it that it wasn't scary i now to be fair i have held that against some films that people a lot of people really like that i was a little more down on like um Mm -hmm. why am i blanking on uh uh jordan peele's first film oh get out yeah 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 I mean, I, my main complaint with Get Out is that it's not scary, but I guess maybe it's more that it's not horrifying in the way that you would expect a typical horror movie to be horrifying. I don't know. This, though, it seems like this fits in a very particular kind of wheelhouse. I mean, this thing is like, to me, while I'm watching it, I'm thinking, okay, this is Grindhouse using Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a kind of jumping off point with a touch of red state just thrown in there just to kind of blossom the bouquet (laughs) (laughs) very nice i like how you put that and i think that may be one of the struggles i had with the film is that while it's a fun i think at times loving homage to those kind of classic slasher films of the 70s it's also chasing better films Mm -hmm. and i sometimes wonder if that's part of the issue i may have had with it is it kind of trips up over the fact that it's trying to be this homage, and it tries to introduce some new concepts. The fact that our killers are clearly, what, in their 80s, yeah. if I'm being generous? Right. And I think that he solves that problem of their efficiency in killing people at that advanced age well enough. And the and I will admit, too, there are some times that are dreadfully sweet, which is, a, I think, a sentence I'd ever thought I'd utter in my life. Right. But um, I... There's still parts of this thing where it just didn't really connect with me. At first, I thought, well, it's not especially scary, right? But that doesn't really matter. And I think like you, I may have docked films in the past for being horror films that weren't scary. So Mm -hmm. I think I had some introspection on that after watching this film. Because there's a lot of this there I liked. But there's just some parts of it that never just fully connected with me. I felt removed from the proceedings the entire time. While some films like... I don't know what um, it follows or which I know is our go to mm-hmm. or hereditary mm-hmm. that kind of just suck you in and they don't let you go. Mm-hmm. Now, this I felt, as I said, slightly removed from. So I enjoyed it. I felt awkward. I felt un- unsettled. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and freaked out and grossed out a few times. So it's mostly successful. But I never really it never really grabbed me. What about you? Yeah, I 
I agree. I felt like this would have been something that would have been really in my wheelhouse. And I don't know if it's just mm-hmm. my advanced age that's starting to show and I'm starting to have less tolerance for it or it's not really speaking to me the way it used to. Or if it's just that it's just an okay example of what he's trying to do. And I think I appreciate what that West is. He's kind of shying away from the kind of meta um, horror film that we've been getting for the last few years that are a lot more, you know, deeper or have something to say, or it just has some kind of clever gimmick or ties into something from the past in the way that like an established story. This thing is just, it's a bit of a video nasty. It's a throwback to a grindhouse film and he just kind of throws it all out there and that that's your thing. Great. And if it's not, he doesn't seem to care. Right. I think West, at least in the film that made us kind of fall in love with what he does was also a throwback, which was much more Mm -hmm. successful. Um, you know, because he kind of pulls it back and he actually tries to make it suspenseful and scary. Whereas this is meant to be more gross and shocking. And I think he's successful if that's what he set out to do. It's just, I don't know if it's my thing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it's not quite gory or exploitative enough, mm. right? I feel like the the notch is turned up to about a 7 or an 8. And I'm walking into this expecting like a 12, <laughs> right? That this is going to be just right, like you said, right in my wheelhouse. I'm going to be hiding behind my hands the whole time right. and just like, oh, God, oh, God. But that no, that moment kind of never really comes for me. Right. And I wonder, though, again, if, like you said, that's just me. I'm too old. I'm too jaded. Uh, even though there's some original concepts in here and I like some decisions he makes, it's still a film I've seen before. Mm-hmm. It made me miss, too, some in, in some ways, how sanitized. I shouldn't say miss, but regretful how sanitized cinema is today. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, he really goes all in on some of this stuff. I think it's, as a film, it's perfectly constructed. There's great little touches here and there from the Shining reference, right? We got the vein, we got the nerd, we have some loose morality. Even when they're leaving the strip club, I don't know if you saw that, but there's like a turtle painting mm-hmm. at the front, and the turtle's neck extends where it basically looks like a penis, <laughs> right? I mean, there's like lots of little weird touches that are in this here, right? And now I'll say, too, the pacing can be a bit languid at times. Mm-hmm. Because I think what he's trying to do is to build up these kind of sweet, uh, sentimental moments, like when the when the cast are in the cabin and they're they're singing landslide, right, right, or even the the moments between the uh, couple that own the uh, farmhouse, right, before the acts occur. <laughs> but still, um, yeah, I just I keep going back and forth on it. I really do. I. I don't know, Matt. I think in the end, I'm going to give X a B. Yeah, I think that's right. I kind of want to give it more, mm-hmm. but I don't think I can. So I think a B is the right grade. I mean, it has some really weird stuff in it. I mean, geriatric Mickey and Mallory kind of thrown out there. I mean, it's just it's got so many like little pieces that he's cribbed from all over the place. It just, it just unfortunately, it's one of those things where it's less than the sum of its parts, really. What about Mia Goth? So I didn't realize until about halfway through mm-hmm. that she's playing two roles in this film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she's minx and she's pearl right and i think she is quite good in this i actually quite enjoyed her and i'm really curious for the prequel i don't know if you stayed away through the credits map but at the very end there's a little trailer prequel for pearl mm-hmm. which you'll see the I don't know, a better term for this the origin of pearl's character okay. this is right around world war one time okay. or something okay so 
anyway, I think that might be really interesting. I'm excited to check that out too. But I really thought Mia Goth was great in this. Jenna Ortega, who's having quite a little run right now too, is. I mean, I think the cast is pretty universally really solid. And I just think, I don't know, I always feel like Goth has been on the periphery of, like, major stardom for right. a while now. Right. I just don't know when and if she's going to fully break through to that. And I, I don't know. This is getting a lot of great buzz, so maybe this will kind of push her up into that higher echelon status. I hope so. I've always really appreciated her work. So X, Matt. Didn't quite work for me entirely. I enjoyed it. I truly did. I think it's a rock-solid slasher, a loving homage to those 70s films. And it, it is creepy absolutely is it an instant classic though as i've seen some people say i don't know i don't i don't think so yeah i don't think so either i would agree with that so quickly i'll tell you my quick little ty west story okay you may have been there when we did the innkeep the innkeepers live show we tried to do i vaguely remember that because the innkeepers was shot in torrington connecticut that hotel i think it's shut down now but i think it's still there and it's supposed to be yankee peddler right yeah the yankee peddler so we actually decided, we we found out they were having a post-party there mm-hmm. for the release. We went to see the premiere in Torrington, mm-hmm. and then we there's a post-party. was set up at the um, event place, and we actually tried to snag at one point, and I said, hey, Ty, and he looked at me, rolled his eyes, and walked away. Oh, okay. And I was like, F you, buddy. <laughs> so I've kind of soured on West ever since. Yeah. But um, anyway, I don't know. Yeah, it just always bothered me. That's one of those things, you know, where it's just a small little thing, but yeah. still... To this day, it still um, it still bothers me a little bit. I'm such a sad man. <laughs> well, good thing you're putting it out there for everyone to hear. <laughs> what would you rank? How would you rank West films? I think for me, House of the Devil is still number one. Yeah, I think so. Too. And then I I would actually probably put this second, and then I would go Sacrament, and then Innkeepers. For some reason, Innkeepers really did nothing for me. Yeah, Innkeepers is not good. And apparently, I was looking at his films. There's a a western he did that I completely missed. Oh, that's right. I'd forgotten all about that. Yeah, so I, I have I haven't caught up with that, and I guess he had a couple of small films before house of the devil that i thought maybe i'd catch up with as well but for me i mean obviously i think house of the devil is still number one i would agree with your ranking okay good to know in the valley of violence mm-hmm. i did want to see that but i yeah cool shoot us an email feedback at the first run.com x is currently playing in your local theaters coming up on physical media matt this upcoming tuesday march 29th i'm gonna balance all of the carnage for this week with a sweet little uh, romantic comedy. Do you, Catrina Valdez, take this guy to be your lawfully wedded husband? And I mean really take him. Think hard, girl. I do. And do you, some guy, take Cat to be your lawfully wedded wife? No, Matthew! Do it! Yeah. Okay. We'll take okay. By the power vested in me, by the state of New York, I now declare you husband and wife. That's right, folks. Marry Me featuring J-Lo and Owen Wilson is getting its physical release this upcoming Tuesday, March 29th. You know, I always thought it was going to be Luke Wilson that was going to be the big star out Mm. of the two of them. He's the more conventionally attractive of the two. Yeah, maybe that just doesn't cut it, folks. We got a chance yet, Matt, to be a big star. (laughs) 
But um, <laughs> J-Lo plays Kat Valdez. She's supposed to marry her rock star fiance right at the concert at Madison Square Garden. But then right before she finds out that he cheated on her. And then uh, Owen Wilson's holding up that sign, I guess, for somebody or something like that. Marry me. So she says yes to him and da 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 Romantic comedy stuff ensues. Feature commentary, eight deleted scenes, a gag reel, and more. Sing 2 is getting its release, Matt. Have you seen these Sing films? Because you have the... Uh, I saw the first junior one. First run? I saw the first one, but I have not seen the second one. Was the first one any good? No, not really. But I mean, you know, kids like it. There you go. Target gives you 10 collectible character art cards. Walmart has an inflatable guitar, rock star glasses with a pouch, and a microphone. So, sequel to that, Sing 2. Who We Are, A Chronicle of Racism in America, the documentary by Jeffrey Robinson. It's getting its physical release. Pursuit, featuring John Cusack. Uh, John Callaway is a ruthless hacker. Matt is desperate to find his wife, who's been kidnapped by the drug cartels. When he crosses paths with Detective Breslin. After he escapes police custody, Breslin joins forces with a no-nonsense female cop to reclaim his prisoner. But is Callaway's crime boss father somehow involved in this explosive situation? Alicia Silverstone stars in The Requiem. A couple on a romantic getaway find themselves stranded at sea when a tropical storm sweeps away their villa. Close the audio commentary with the writer-director, Lee Van Keet. Shot Factory is releasing on the third day. Cecilia and her son, Martine, have a car accident, Matt. On the third day after the crash, she wanders by herself on a lonely route, and there's no clue of her son. She can't remember what happened during this time, and she's desperately looking for him. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing in UHD, The Last Waltz, the uh, legendary concert documentary. Brand new 4K restoration of that one. They're also releasing in 4K Love Jones. Darius Love Hall is a young black poet in Chicago. Matt, who starts dating Nina Mosley, a beautiful and talented photographer. While trying to figure out if they've got a love thing or they're just kicking it, they hang out with their friend, talking about love and sex. Then Nina tests the strength of Darius's feelings and sets a chain of romantic complications into motion. Brand new 4K restoration of that one. And a couple new interviews as well. Paramount Presents is releasing Ordinary People, featuring Donald Sutherland and Mary Tyler Moore. Brand new forecastration of that, uh, overseen by Robert Redford, and a new making of featurette. Warner Archive is releasing the animated film The Wonderful World of the Brothers Grimm. Disc 1 is a restored Cinerama image letterboxed version. Disc 2 is the restored Cinerama image in Smilebox format to appropriate the curved theater experience at home. And includes the 140-minute roadshow presentation, which had an overture, an intermission, and intricate, am I saying that right? Sure. And exit music. Sounds good. A Star is Born, the David O. Selznick version from 1937 is getting a release with a brand new 4K restoration, as well as two audio-only plays and some classic WB cartoons. Warner Archive is also releasing Captain of the Clouds. The legendary Michael Curtiz film gets a brand new 4K restoration from the original Nitrate Technicolor Negative. Code Red is releasing Screams of a Winter Night. Previously mastered in 2K, it features the director's cut of the film. Ten college students might go camping. When they get there, they tell scary stories to each other. Severin is releasing The Forbidden Door. As a successful young sculptor increasingly loses his grip on insanity, or his sanity, he imagines his wife, family, and friends are all conspiring against him. It begins filling his best-selling works with unspeakable human matter. I don't, I don't want to know what that is at all. Kino Lorber is releasing The Devil Strikes at Night. A serial killer strikes again during World War II in Germany. The wrong man is arrested, and a detective hunts down the real killer. But justice in Nazi Germany is not so easily administered. 
features a brand new audio commentary by critic Imogene Sarah Smith. All right. So I hate that they do this to me, but we got to get through it, Matt. Vinegar Syndrome is releasing all of its partner label releases this upcoming Tuesday. First up, we're going to get Kane and Abel from Label Connie. Includes... We were having some technical issues, so I'm just going to list them off for you. We're going to have Kane and Abel from 1982, Belitis from 1977, the Delta Space Mission from 1984. I do not care if we go down in history as Barbarians from 2018. That is a great title. And the American Scream from 1988. All titles will be available um, shortly from the partner labels of Vinegar Syndrome. I'm sure most of them, sorry, are just not very good. (laughs) Way to go out on a limb there. You're straight to DVD pick of the week. I'm going to go with The Ballad in Blood from Severn. Rogerio Diodato's film, of course, who brought us the, I'm not going to say classic. I'll just put down legendary, <laughs> Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> it's the day after Halloween. Jacopo and Duke wake up in the apartment of two girls, Lenka from the Czech Republic and Elizabeth, who's English. They're both in Italy, Matt, thanks to the Erasmus Project, whatever that may be. The dawn of that new day brings it with a big problem. Elizabeth has died. But there's more, because none of the three remembers what happened. Neither James, nor Duke, nor Lenka remember what happened that night. You know what? It's not me. The copy of this is a disaster to read, <laughs> and there are missing words. It includes an interview with Diodato, um, and it's a bunch of other new interviews as well. So there you go, Matt. Rescue me. What should we be streaming this week? So you know what's back around on streaming after disappearing for a little while? Mm-mm. Oculus, um, the f- the film starring Karen. Are you serious? Yeah, I just bought it. Karen Gillan has a a uh, haunted mirror. Sounds stupid, but it's actually pretty good. Um, and it's available on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's a good little horror gym that uh, Chris and I both recommend you go see. Yeah, I was going back and forth on buying it for a while. Now. It's a Flanagan joint, if mm-hmm. I remember it correctly. Is. It is. And I remember watching this thing like we're going to watch a, a movie about a haunted mirror. Mm-hmm. Come on, <laughs> and it is good yeah and it was on a netflix sale a few weeks ago for five bucks okay so i pulled the trigger gotcha so i got a digital you know netflix cop not netflix apple itunes copy what am i talking about yeah what are you talking about i don't even think i know clearly all right folks let's keep rolling then let's talk about that no 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 wait wait i forgot well i was half joking last week i just want to quickly talk about two things okay one has been bothering me for about a month now okay and the other one too i threatened because matt cut me off so unceremoniously batman so I went to see it a second time, right? Mm-hmm. And I went to go see it in IMAX. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you right now, Matt, IMAX sucks. Yeah. I hate it. Because after seeing it in Dolby and then going to IMAX, the picture quality is so much worse. Yeah. It is so duller. It is not as deep. It's not as rich. It's not as bright. It's not, you know, it's it looks like I'm running the damn projector at my house. Right. With my 1080p projector in the backyard. Right. I mean, it is, I was shocked by how I've been going to Dolby for so long now and just kind of eschewing the the IMAX that I actually saw an IMAX. So there was nothing coming out that week. So let me go see it again. And I still enjoyed it. But man, that IMAX stinks, folks. Don't bother doing it. And what else? I can see Robin being in this universe the way it's constructed. So yeah. I'm kind of curious. Well, I couldn't see maybe in the other series. This one I totally can. Okay. And what do you think about Nick Cage's idea where he wants to come in as a terrifying egghead? Uh, you know what? I'm down for whatever Nick Cage wants to do. I'm looking <laughs> forward to that uh, this uh, run that we're going to do in a few weeks. So, yeah, bring it on. Good times. Finally, do you think he's a... Do you think 
this Bruce Wayne is a virgin? Because we're it's, we're all sexy films this week. So is he a virgin in this? I think he is, right? Yeah, he ain't got time for women. He ain't got time for anything. Man. That Catwoman's going to blow that kid's mind. All right. Then, um, That's why he doesn't know how to t- even look at her. He can, he can barely look at her. What <laughs> and finally, the one thing that I think has been driving me crazy, and I keep forgetting to bring it up, and then I think about it and I get angry at myself for like an hour. Mm. So I wrote it down this time. And I, I apologize to go back to this. Moonfall. All right. There's a couple scenes in Moonfall mm-hmm. where the big geeky scientist conspiracy guy praised Elon Musk. To help him out of his terrifying situation. Right. And it infuriates me. <laughs> so much that it still bothers me now after, what, a month and a half? Right. It's been a while since we saw that. I've already forgotten everything about that movie. What would Elon do? I think at one point yeah. he says, and he says, Elon, give me strength or something. Listen to me. The guy's a hack. All right? He came from a rich family. He didn't invent anything. Yep. And he just buys into all of this stuff. He is not some super savior genius guy. In fact, I think you should, I would like to point out to all you Elon Musk fans, the, the two of you that are listening to this show, think about what he's trying to do to save the world right now. He's looking for a way to get to Mars. Right. He has no desire to do anything about the planet itself because he knows probably everything's effed. Right. So instead of spending any of his money or any of the minds that work for him, again, not his, the minds that work for him, and then, don't you think we started on all the, the, the boring tunnel BS stuff? No, yeah, it's He invented terrible. it at subways. Yeah. And it's just going to cause more problems or trains or buses. It's just... Doesn't there's even a work. Great, there's a great... It doesn't. There's a great video. I can't remember the name of it now. I found on YouTube where like an engineer, like a traffic engineering guy goes through the whole thing. Yeah. And why it would never work. Right. But he has this very kind of monotone, very dry sense of humor. It's hilarious. And he goes, right, now this is why this won't work. What if this happens and then this happens, right? And there's reasons why we do this and that. And it's it's hilarious. So Google Elon Musk train monotone guy. I don't know. If you can find, <laughs> I'll see if I can find it. Post it in the show. I just, I hate it. I hate it. Maybe that's why we were supposed to, those were little drops to, you know, not take John Bradley seriously. <sighs> I just. Eh. Interesting. Um, No. okay enough bro down ho down matt let's get into the real sexy stuff not only are we shooting an adult film in our last film now we're getting into kind of classic old school sexy psychological thriller with lots of sex with sexy people and ever told you i hate the word sexy it makes me uncomfortable yeah but uh no you haven't but I, i i can see that it's it is a bad word it's a dumb word i hate it yeah so let's talk about deep water how's the grilled cheese actually it's amazing oh good can i have some i don't like lobster bits oh my god right (laughs) this is amazing melinda kind of has the palate of a 12 year old our first date i took her to the best restaurant in the city and she ordered mac and cheese yes it's like he was ashamed to be with me no, I just realized you were ordering up the children's menu to save room for alcohol. You see, Vic never drinks. I try sometimes. Sometimes I think he's not normal. Because normal people can let go. You wish that I were normal, Melinda? 
my God, all the time. As if I were normal. I don't think Joel would be over here having dinner with us. You don't have to be rude. I'm not being rude. I made lobster bisque. Matt, do you like lobster bisque? Yeah, I, I, do, I do like lobster bisque. Would you like Ben Affleck's lobster bisque? I mean, if it's as good as he claims it is, sure, why not? I'll give it a go. Although, can I say before we get started that yeah. I can't look at Ben Affleck without thinking of that massive, hideous tattoo he's got on his back. Like I, <laughs> Every time I see him, I'm like, you know what? A thing's just lurking under there. It's waiting to blow an entire film's makeup budget. <laughs> Man, I always think about Ben Affleck. Parts of me are like... Now, clearly, I've always liked the guy, right? Mm. Going back to the Kevin Smith days sure. when I first saw him. And I think about what he's gone through in his life and how he's, in some ways, one of the at, at one point, one of the biggest stars on the planet. Yeah. And then the personal kind of just internal strife and tragedy that his relationships have been, right? Can you imagine, like, being Jennifer Garner in that relationship between the two of them when he clearly always wanted to be with J-Lo? Yeah. And it's just, man. I don't know. He's just a guy. He's just a guy. He's a dumb guy from Boston who, um, <laughs> you know, lucked into this gigantic career. And uh, I don't know. There's one of those things where I uh, sometimes, uh, in the same time where I root for him, and other times I'm like, you were a massive idiot. <laughs> and then <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about this film, where there are moments that I I hated this thing. Mm-hmm. And there are other moments that I really had an absolute blast watching this movie. Mm-hmm. So first off, let's level set, Matt. So Deepwater is kind of the Howell store. This is why I moved to Tampa from Connecticut right, because gotcha. of his relationship with <laughs> his wife. So Affleck and Jarmus play Vic and Melinda Van Allen, and they have a daughter, Trixie. Adorable kid. And there is clearly some tension in the relationship. They live, they sleep in separate rooms. There's basically one of those kind of typical loveless marriages that they do supposedly love each other. And Anna has friends that she brings around the house. She's a little, she's not quite so private with her dalliances and her uh, little um, escapades. Mm. And it first you get uh, Ben Affleck meets one of these guys and he basically says, Hey, you know that guy that's missing? Yeah. He was friends with my wife and I killed him. And they're like, wait, what? And then things get a little more uh, explicit as the film plays out. All right. The, so this, we'll just say it's not all talk, hmm. all right? And it's supposed to be this kind of sexy, Matt, sexy, sexy, little psychological thriller, like in a fatal attraction kind of way, you know, right. your classic 90s throwback when this was all the rage, again, where it seemed to be much too prudish nowadays. Mm-hmm. I think with a lot of the cinema stuff, there's not a lot of, you know, sexy kind of scenes so much anymore in a lot of the films, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your predilections. But Matt, what happens when you go to make a an erotic thriller that's not just not sexy; it's like anti sexy. Right. What What are your thoughts on Deep Water? Yeah, so I'll I saw this review on Letterbox. I'm going to shamelessly steal it, but basically the review said this: Deep Water is an erotic thriller that's neither erotic nor a thriller. Discuss, <laughs> and that's basically what this is. It's not. Um, it's not titillating at all. Um, the chemistry for people who were real life dating at one point is non-existent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's weird and who you're supposed to try and sympathize with. Cause everybody in this is pretty much terrible except for maybe the put upon friends um, of the, of the couple. 
Yeah, Little Ralph's great. Yeah, well, yeah, that's fine, but he's kind of very much on the periphery. I mean, even the even the five year old kid's a bit of a creeper. Like, I don't even know what's going on with that. Yeah, but it's been a while since I've seen a thriller. I guess like kind of one of these ninety throwback thrillers. But there's nothing really thrilling or propulsive about this. It's just like weird. Like I, I don't. It's just a very strange film, and I believe this is based on a book by. Patricia Highsmith, who wrote The Talented Mr. Ripley, which is, you know, that's a pop oiler. I don't know what they did with this one. I don't know, man. I think a couple things is they should have leaned in one way or another, right? It's not cheesy enough, and it's not sleazy enough, and it's not sinister enough. The whole thing is just, it's. I can't believe how remarkably dull it is. Mm. I don't, that, I didn't quite understand at all. Now, I enjoy Affleck moments, I should say, of Affleck's performance in this. Not all the way through, but there are little moments and little scenes between the two of them where they kind of play off each other where I think they're entertaining enough, right? But there's some things that just I don't quite understand. Like, what's our time frame here? She's meeting all these guys over a couple weeks. Is it a year? Right. Is it five years? Right. What? Because the kid is an agent. So does she have these new friends? Is it like every week and a half he kills one and she brings in a new guy? I mean, who is that kind of time? And she certainly seems to bounce back quickly after her paramours are unceremoniously taken out after uh, about a, you know five to six hours. Right. I don't, is just is it me? And then I'm like, was this like a dance between them? It's like a phantom thread thing, like between the th- her and him and some whoever this poor victim's going to be where she keeps bringing the flies to the spider and that's what gets her excited yeah is a mere thought because there's a scene at the end where she not at the end but about two-thirds through or she believes he did it because just because you love me you know and that's this weird kind of acceptance part that also kind of happens at the end too but for the most part it's just really as i said it's dull it's anti-erotic i'm just kind of disappointed by the entire i thought there's going to be some big risque thing yeah and we do have her coming up in that marilyn monroe pick blonde um which i think i saw today on is going to be on netflix and it has an nc-17 rating okay so i'm kind of curious to see how far that one's going to go but i don't know it's just it's weird and boring which is not something i like weird and exciting but this is weird <laughs> And, 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 and boring. Another thing, like, how big is Ben? Because does he just drive, like, a miniature bike? Because there's a couple scenes, like, he's just, like, like this giant yeah. on this little bicycle. I think he's, like, 6'4", something like that. He's pretty big right, dude. Well, I'll, I'll cut him some slack on that one. And then I just want to say quickly, chef's kiss to the um, performance of the uh, uh, Tracy Letts, who, who plays the family friend who figures out something's happening. In fact, has the big um, scene at the end of the film where he's finally going to blow the whole case wide open, right? Except his what happens to him is so ridiculous and over the top <laughs> that I loved it. I mean, it, as I said, it's like Chef Kiss, perfect ending for him. Yeah. If you let me put it this way, folks, if you drive like they do in the movies, you're going to get in an accident and die. <laughs> you do not turn the wheel that much especially too if you're being chased by a guy on a motorcycle and you're driving like an outback you're cool at like 25 30 yeah. he's not going to catch up with you yeah. you don't have to gun it yeah in the back roads of like a mountain gorge area right. you know you know but still all of his little side eyes at aflac all these little moments that he has with him are just they're almost for me worth watching the film. I enjoyed it so much. Well, because he seems like to be the only one to know what kind of film he's in. He's like mm-hmm. really cheesing and hamming it up. Whereas 
Ben Affleck's doing his weird, like heavy lidded, sleepy eye, phone it in thing, and I don't even know what the hell Anna DeArmas is doing. I mean, I always thought she was a good actor, but based off you took this, just this as her as like her audition reel, you'd be like, yeah, we're never hiring this girl because she is terrible. She's awful in yeah. this. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I don't eat lobster bisque because I'm vegan. I don't think. Yeah, so how's that working out for that you? To you? How's that working out for so you? So far, so good. So far, so good. good yeah. Um, weights down. All my cholesterol, my numbers are down. Things are doing good. I actually had to get some suits and clothes um, brought in yeah. a couple inches. Right. So we're, we're going good. Thank you very much. Well, I was just making dinner the other day and I was just, for some reason, you popped into my mind about, you know what? I wonder how Chris's veganism is going. Because I, you are a big fan. A big fan of the pizza, of the za, if you I, will. <laughs> well, we found other ways to get around things. You would be shocked but what you can do um, in veganism in regards to, like, especially, like, I make killer cashew mozzarella cheese. Mm. So, uh, no, I think this is a very important conversation we should be having right now as we close up mm-hmm. our deep water yeah, discussion. Yeah, I think it is. It's more interesting than deep water, that's for sure. <laughs> so... Though I will say, if I end up at some point back in Connecticut and I walk by or drive by a Pepe's, there could be something horrible that happens. I just don't know what it would be. Yeah, I mean, but you know what helps too with the pizza and the dairy? What? Lactose intolerant mm. makes that a lot easier. Yeah. See, here's the thing. I feel like you're gonna you're gonna stop in at a Pepe's. You're gonna get your pepperoni pie, and you're gonna take one bite. You're gonna eat one slice, and you're gonna feel like such shit. Like you're like, and it's gonna it's gonna just crush a small piece of your of your childhood and your fond memories that you can't eat this stuff anymore i gotta tell you a big part of it too for me it's not just the health stuff and it's maybe in 60 40 40 percent health 60 percent is the uh, aminals the aminals i care about mm-hmm. uh, the aminals mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i really i i don't think i my desire to eat a hamburger is worth another being's life mm-hmm. is kind of what it comes down to i get you in the end i get you all right you know what i think if you want to eat meat you should have to kill the animal Okay. You want it? You should be the one that has to go slaughter go the slaughter animal, it. skin it, mm-hmm. take everything out of it, do all that stuff. Yeah. Then, you know what? Hey, I more power to you. I mean, um, my my all I'll say is this: is you know what? If the cows didn't want us to eat them, they shouldn't want us to domesticate them because they obviously <laughs> said the trade off is worth it for whatever is awful out in the wild. Guys, if you really want to see some awful stuff and how terrible animal lives are out in the wild, watch, uh, go to Reddit, look up Nature is Brutal, and you will see stuff where what we do to animals is a thousand more times how humane it was to what they do to each other. The difference there is, though, is that's their ecosystem. That's how that works. We don't need to do that. Well, I mean, we are. They do. Apex predators and, like... You no, know, I get too the fact that if if we if something happened to us, they would likely eat us. No, they would. I they would that. totally eat us horribly. But they don't have the sense of self that we do. I, I I guess, but I mean, at the same time, and we don't have to do it. But like, would cows cows would just go extinct? Pigs would go extinct. Can't have them running around. You don't need them for for breeding anymore. Like, I mean, we can't have them running around. What are they like? They're running through the streets and sticking people yeah, up. Yeah, no, what do you I mean, mean like they're like, a dangerous gang. No, like pigs are feral. Pigs are a big problem. You can't you can't release That's pigs. True. Can't you true. can't introduce a bunch of domesticated animals out into the wild and just expect them to live and not destroy an ecosystem? There'd be no reason to have cows anymore. They would just go extinct because we wouldn't okay. breed them anymore. Well, I, yeah, this is a very weird discussion here. <laughs> <sighs> 
deep water math. <laughs> but did we even give it a grade? I don't even think we did. I'm giving no. it a C minus. So am I. What a quinky dink. Wow, we're right on top of each other today. Just like in deep water. <laughs> I'm yeah, I think there's enough here for me to that I enjoyed enough that I didn't give it a D. Yeah. And maybe it's mostly Tracy Letts just elevates this out of the uh, Tracy Letts' uh, his final scenes is really what brings it to what she needed to be. <laughs> it's so crazy. Trying to text while he's going all over the roads and then drops his phone and reaches down the gate. It's so crazy. Oh, chef's kiss, folks. Just watch the last 10 minutes of Deep Water. I think that's all you need to do. Yeah. Have you seen it? It's currently streaming on Hulu. Little to hear your thoughts, feedback at thefirstrun.com. That coming up next in this next final segment of the show, where we close out the show in this final segment. We are going to reveal the rest. The, not quite the final part, but films, where are we? 20 through 11 of our 50 favorite films of all time. Mm. Here's one that didn't quite make the cut for me. I don't think Matt's seen it yet, though I've begged him to watch it. No, it's not one cut of the day. All right, here we go. Quiet! Quiet! She's got to talk into the mic. I can't pick it up. Cut! What's the matter, Dexter? Lena, look, Lena. Don't you remember I told you? There's a microphone right there in the bush. Yeah. You have to talk into it. I was talking, wasn't I, Miss Dinsmore? Yes, my dear, but please remember round toes. Pierre, you shouldn't have come. Pierre, you shouldn't have come. Yes, yes, my dear, that's much better now. Hold it a second. Now, Lena, look. Here's the mic right here in the bush. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, have you ever seen Singing in the Rain yet? I haven't, no. Oh, 4K is coming out soon. I just have it on DVD. I cannot wait to upgrade. I had never watched musicals before. I was never a musical guy because I'm tough. I'm a manly guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and are. yeah, I'm, I'm benching two bills. And I am like, I'm not going to watch a musical. And then I watched, I went to, I think it was on TCM. And I loved it. Mm. In fact, former co-host of the show, um, who shall go without being named, he had a similar stance with you on, on musicals. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? The show in Singing in the Rain here at the Cinema City at a matinee. We should go check it out. And he goes, ah, fine. We went. He loved it. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? Even a stop clock can be rice twice a day. <sighs> Singing in the Rain. Didn't quite make my list, Matt. I will go first this week. My number 20 not only is, I think, a perfect film. It spawned one of my all-time favorite songs. Probably one of the best pop songs of the 80s, if not all time. I am referring, of course, to Robert Zemeckis' Back to the Future. Marty McFly, he gets trapped, Matt, back in time. Because uh, he's trying to, what, escape from the Libyan terrorists. Because mm-hmm. Doc Brown has sold some plutonium to some Libyan Libyans. Timely. And it's his whole story, then, about getting back from the past to get back to the future hence the title and of course power of love huey lewis the big song there also has a quick cameo in the film wonderful family entertainment a perfect film a lot to one of the most highly rewatchable films possibly of all time and uh, i watched it i think i don't know about two years ago when my uh i got my blu-ray set i haven't upgraded the 4k i don't think i will 
because I got all three films in Blu-ray. Uh, it still holds up, man. Yeah. Great, great film. Yeah. Number 20. It is one of those perfect films if you... Yeah, it really is. It's a great It's a great film. Um, all right, so my number 20. Let me pull up my list here. Oh, were you not prepared? Did I not tell you we were doing this this week? No, you did. I just, uh, I just had it minimized. I had to pull it up. All right, so I could look at your, you know, your charming <laughs> face. Uh, so my number 20 then is a film that I just brought up, uh, I think, uh, couple weeks ago in our in our uh prequel sequels requels discussion it is the greatest rock documentary of all time this is spinal tap um mm-hmm. an absolute classic of uh ludicrous comedy if you like rock music if it's really if you were born in the 80s and you know just watching this thing is just it's just fantastic these guys went on to make you know several other mockumentaries and but i think this is probably the greatest of the ones that they've done oh yeah it's absolutely beautiful hilarious hilarious film i, I love that damn thing i also love waiting for government mm. it's such a funny film it too. is that's a good pick i said beautiful because i actually had another thought in my head when you said that <laughs> it somehow got connected to uh spinal tap not that you know rob reiner and the, and the crew aren't, sure. aren't gorgeous people mm-hmm. Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer and uh, Michael McKeon. Beautiful, beautiful people. My number 19, then, is the first appearance of this director, but possibly not the last. And that is Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Possibly one of the greatest, if not the greatest, satire of all time. Mm-hmm. It's a 1964 black comedy featuring Peter Sellers in three roles. With a wonderful performance also by George C. Scott and Sterling Hayden as well. Matt, this was a film that always felt like homework to me. Kind of like a Citizen Kane, right? I always heard how great it was and I'm going to have to actually watch it. Do I really want to watch it? Uh, Fine. And I saw it on TCM again and fell in love with it. It is hilarious. To this day, it is hilarious. And um, just brilliant writing. It is a wonderful, terrifying film basically of of what happens between the U.S. and at the time the Soviet Union as kind of talks break down, things go crazy because a general basically has snapped, right? And he and he launches a nuclear war. Mm. And um, there's this, this legendary moment with Slim Pickens riding the nuclear rocket down. <laughs> and uh, just, uh, it's, it's, it is brilliant and hilarious. If you haven't seen Dr. Strangelove, folks, get on it. Yeah, that's a very good pick. Um, didn't make my list. It is, it's one of, not only is it one of the best satires of all time, I think just by the sheer fact that it's actually an effective satire is what makes it work. Because mm-hmm. satire is hard to do. All right. Yeah. So my number 19 then is um, a film that defined a genre for better or worse. Shot on the cheap in black and white in the late 60s. It really introduced the world to zombies. And I'm talking about George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. For a film that was made in the time period that it was, on the budget that it was, and the limitations that they had, it is an incredibly effective film, and it feels very real, and it just has some of the best lines in all of horror cinema. I mean, you know, they're coming to get you, Barbara. It's still like a little piece that I I love when that kind of comes up every single time. And it's incredibly easy to watch, because unfortunately, Mr. Romero even though he made a Stone Cold classic, did not do the copyright correctly, so he never made any money on it. And anybody can print it whenever they want to. Yeah, I have the Criterion set, and I believe they did like pay him to do that. They didn't 
They did, it's still one of their cheaper releases, mm-hmm. but they did give him a little taste of that. And that Criterion set of Night of Living Dead is is uh, great. Uh, yeah, all, all three, though I know there's been more since, but those th- first three films, Night, Dawn, and Day, mm-hmm. are all great. I think Dawn still is the better of the three of them, though Night of the Living Dead is great. None of them made my list, unfortunately, but the first two are honorable mentions, and the third is... Listen, I'll tell you at least it's got fantastic gore effects. Uh, my number 18 then is probably my favorite Steven Soderbergh film. And uh, that is Out of Sight, uh, based on the Elmore Leonard novel featuring George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. Matt, I was obsessed with this film at one point to, to the point that I actually bought a lighter, though I didn't smoke back in 98 once I saw it <laughs> because I thought that it, Foley's lighter tricks, because he didn't smoke in the film either. It was just kind of this what this toy obsessiony thing that he did all the time right. with it and um it is it's just one of the best neo-noirs i think you will ever see it's a uh kind of a what is it a, a caper thriller too and the chemistry between clooney and lopez is out of this world i mean it is insane the, the trunk scene the scene at the restaurants when they talk through every oh i actually came in my it was in my Soderberg soderberg scene list too right mm-hmm. so yeah, no, I remember walking out of, um, again, Cinema City, watching Out of Sight and being like, my God, that is incredible work. So it's my 18. All right. My 18 is a film that kind of came out of nowhere. It was based off of a cult classic set of films that, for whatever reason, you thought this should have had no rights to be any good. The original actor was no longer involved. He was he had basically been aged out. This, this director and writer had not made a film in... Um, decades at this point and somehow he ends up pulling out despite all of the hardships as far as the location and his actors not getting along i think maybe the greatest action film of the last 10 years and that's uh, mad max fury road what george miller is able to accomplish with this with just the level of balls out creative insanity along with the action scenes that he stages and this practical effects that are all around it it is just it is just a marvel of what uh, an action film really should be, and I'm hoping we can see more of in the future. Yeah, I guess that Furiosa prequel is happening, mm-hmm. right? And is it Anya Taylor, Taylor Joy? Joy's I believe so. Yes, is playing. Yeah, yeah. Furiosa. I'm really looking forward to that. I know that's one of those. Even though I have the Blu-ray, I've been seriously considering getting that UHD because yeah. it's supposed to be phenomenal. Yeah. So maybe if it gets to a cheap enough price point, I'll upgrade it. After Furiosa, I really hope, I would love to see them do more films about Max where he plays this kind of tertiary character, this kind of like mm-hmm. this side character and it's played by a different actor every time because they're like oh, really? telling the legend of like, you know, it's really this person's story, but he's in it and he's like a driving force in it. And it would be just a different actor because it's somebody telling you about their run-in with Max as like this legendary wasteland figure. I think it would be really cool. That's a fun idea. I saw, was it just this past week? I think it was on Twitter. I can't remember. Some early concept, no, test stuff of uh, Theron. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. It was Zoe Kravitz okay. um, uh, for her audition for Free Road. And at the time, she was like acting against Renner, who was the number one choice okay. for Max at the time. Wow. Which, uh, I don't know if I would have liked Renner in that role. I think Hardy uh, is a, was a much better choice. Okay, number 17, Matt. Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, 
Um, just one of the greatest science fiction films of the 80s. The world that he builds in that film uh, is second to none. I mean, it, you, it's, a, it's such an immersive experience. And then you have the Vangelis score as well that some people can't stand that I love. <laughs> um, but I love the mystery of it. The Again, a sci-fi neo-noir film. Um, I'm trying to think what version of it I enjoy the most. Probably the original, not the theatrical version, because that had the narration. Yeah, I don't like right, the narration. Right. So, probably the director's cut. I don't know if I've. I think I've only seen the final cut once. Okay. And I do have that disc though. When it came, it's one of the first Blu-rays I ever bought. Was that five disc set? Yeah. Which had all the versions, including the work print version. Yeah. But still, Harrison Ford's fantastic in this, and it, it basically it just boils down to Scott's world building. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So, uh, Blade Runner's my seventeen. All right. Well, we'll keep the uh, sci-fi focus of great sci-fi films alive with my number 17, and that's Stanley Kubrick's 2001, a kind of technical marvel when it came out. It still holds up to this day. I mean, even looking at some of the kind of, at this point, quaint, outdated future stuff, um, what he's able to accomplish is just nothing short of incredible. He goes from this kind of very grounded hard sci-fi that's all very realistic and where by the end there's a fetus floating in space and it is just it is for getting from point a to point b is just uh a, a trip that you have to experience yeah i remember too watching it when i was younger thinking wow this is incredible but also i don't understand what the hell's happening <laughs> but if you kind of take a step back from it it's actually all pretty basic mm-hmm. and easy to understand mm-hmm. what actually is happening yeah um, but yeah, I bought the UHD of this, I think last year when it came out and I watched it, it looks fantastic. Uh, and like, I agree with you, it does still hold up. That first half is just kind of just very intense and terrifying. Mm. And then it gets to this crazy kind of, you know, space zoo part and, uh, <laughs> wild stuff folks. All right, Matt, my number 16 then. This may shock you being as high, that it's as high on the list. Mm. But it's one of the films we've talked about before that I've said many times is one of the instigators of this entire show. This show probably wouldn't exist mm. if it wasn't for this film. And that, of course, is Scott Sanders's Black Dynamite featuring Michael J. White, <laughs> a uh, satire of the black exploitation films of the 60s and 70s, and one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Mm. And I think, like you said about Anchorman, a film, every time I watch it, it gets funnier. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that's possible, but it does. It is brilliant. It is hilarious. If you haven't seen Black Dynamite. Now, maybe the ending of it isn't quite as strong as the first um, two acts. Mm -hmm. But it's one of the most quotable films I've ever seen. And it makes me cry from laughter every time I watch it to this day. So um, BD is my 16th. Man, I haven't I haven't seen that movie in like a decade. I'll have to p- pull out my, my Blu-ray and watch it. All right, well, my number 16 is also a BD. Um, it's a film that uh, I did not have high hopes for. I didn't really know what it was going to be. And then, of course, from scene one, the use of music just kind of sucked me in to every part of this. And Chris often talks about his needle drops, and this is needle drop perfection throughout this whole damn thing. I'm talking about uh, Edgar Wright's Baby Driver, which is a film that is still so much fun to watch. And I love... So cursed! And it is, and it's a damn shame because everybody in it 
has some level of being an asshole, except for maybe Ham at this point. <laughs> I think that's basically it. I think Ham's clear. Ham's yeah. clear. Um, but you so know fun. what? I I think I'm going to apply Chris's rule where you can watch something up until the point where you didn't know that they were awful. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and you know what? We did go see West Side Story, so there's there's that too. So I can't complain too much, I guess. But Baby Driver is abs- it's just such it's so much fun. And just what Edgar Wright's able to do with just his incorporation of music into it and just the editing that goes around it and his deep cut pulls that are just perfect are is fantastic. Yeah, his use of music in that is entirely different than anything that you've probably seen in a film before. So you should definitely check it out. Honorable mention for me. So my number 15 then, Matt, is considered one of the greatest thrillers. And I think actually, you know what? I think about two years ago, it unseated Citizen Kane as the best film of all time. Mm. And that is Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, the pinnacle of his career about a uh, young man who, uh, John Scotty Ferguson, he is a former police detective, Matt, and he's hired to follow is uh, an old acquaintance of his that's now like like a shipping baron or something and to follow his wife around because something's up and uh mostly i think panned at the time of its release it has since become a a just a, a very much re- well-revered film a classic movie about basically just about obsession mm. and uh stewart is fantastic in it and hitchcock at the top of his game with one of the greatest film scores by uh, Bernard Herrmann of all time. And it is a hypnotic film. If you have not watched Vertigo, I'm telling you folks, watch it this weekend. It will just stick to you. It is just a weird, unsettling, gorgeous film. Um, yeah, that's my 15. That is a great film. That is Hitchcock has some bangers. Now, but there's, you talk about another asshole. There's, you know, there's one right there. Um, yeah. But, Sometimes you just got to enjoy the art, people. All right, so my number, what are we on, 15? Um, is another Edgar Wright joint. Chris brought it down lower in the list, much lower than I would obviously prefer, but it's Scott mm. Pilgrim versus the world. Um, film right in my warehouse. You know, video games, ridiculousness, um, kind of this uh, high fantasy kind of mashed into this real world setting um, with a hero that not necessarily a great guy um not kind of a, a jerk but i don't know so somehow lovable at the same time it is a fun funny film that um it really that it hooked me from the initial opening you know of the 8-bit universal logo yeah i remember how <laughs> excited you were when that happened yes and one of the few films i think that we actually went and saw together yeah and uh yeah no scott pilgrim is a blast it really is so much fun all right, so then where are we? Now, number 14, I mentioned earlier in this show, I watched the film. I always felt like homework to me, so I never watched it. Mm. I finally did, I think, last year as part of our Mank discussion, and it's Citizen Kane, Orson Welles' film, at one point considered the greatest film of all time. And it's not a lie, folks. I know you may think it's, oh, it's so cliched, but I'm telling you, it is fantastic. And it is thrilling. It's it, the way Wells shot this thing, the opening of the film as we're going through the grounds of the land and the pan, you know, opens through the gates and we pan up to Xanadu and it's just, and it never, it's one of those, I mean, man, Matt, this film grabs you by the throat. 1941, Mm. Wells, just incredible work here. I'm telling you, I know you, you know what the, what Rosebud means at this point. It's been, you know, what, where are we? 70, 80 years now. 
but still, the thing does hold up. Citizen Kane's my 14. All right. Uh, my 14 is uh, one of the... It comes down to this film or another film um, that is one of the greatest of this great film director. Um, aped many times since. It, sometimes a good effect in The Magnificent Seven and sometimes a terrible effect to The Magnificent Seven. Um, and uh, I'm talking about The Seven Samurai. Uh, Akira Kurosawa's uh, film about a uh, down-on-his-luck ronin uh, samurai, masterless samurai, who agrees to defend... Um, help defend a, a village against a group of bandits who are uh, on their way. He enlists six others to help train them, and uh, battle ensues at the end. It is it is the quickest three hours you'll ever watch. It is it is absolutely riveting as you watch every piece of this. Yeah, I saw the Seven Samurai at a Sydney studio, the one at Trinity College, in the those horribly horribly uncomfortable seats. Right. <laughs> Thank God they had the intermission in that sweet Pete. All right, so then um, where are we? Number 13 for me, Matt. Picture it, all right? It's 1980, I'm going to say 84, 83, 84. All right, so you got about a six, seven-year-old, seven-year-old Chris. He's on the couch watching USA Saturday Nightmares. His parents are gone out for the night, so it's just him. And uh, he's tuned in to a film that will change his life, and that is Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead. And uh, my uh, affection for horror began that night. About those kids that go to that cabin, they open up that book, read the uh, passages, and release the demons from hell. And that thing, Matt, scared the hell out of me. It was my first real exposure to gore. Yeah. And freaked me the hell out as well. And it filmed, I've loved that movie ever since and that franchise. So that's where it all began The Evil Dead, number 13. Yeah, my first exposure was at a sleepover where my friend's older brother rented Evil Dead 2. That was my first uh, exposure to the Evil Dead universe. Nice. Yes. All right. So imagine my surprise many years later when I did catch the first one. I'm like, wait, the plot's basically the same. Like, what's, what is, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, just less, less funny. Um, all right. So my number 13 then is Truckers in Space. Uh, pick up something, uh, an unwanted hitchhiker yeah. that is, um, just uh, scary for its lack of scenes. It's Ridley Scott's alien. Um, just the body horror elements, the kind of uh, picking off uh, one by one of this haunted house in space. It is still a masterpiece of a, a horror film that has pretends it's a sci-fi film. Great pick, great pick. My number 22, I don't know. Yeah, you're getting a couple pops in me. You could probably swap out my Blade Runner and my Alien, you know, depending on how I'm feeling on that day. So then, uh, where are we? My number 12 then, Matt, is to this day, to the point I still think the best film of the 21st century that is Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood, based on the um, the the book Oil by Upton Sinclair. Daniel Day-Lewis in the lead role wins an Academy Award. Paul Dano turning into, you know, pre-Riddler days, as the kids say, as the young preacher. But uh, just a masterwork from Anderson. Top shelf work from uh, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis as well. It's a magnificent film Matt. it really is it is spellbinding cinema and it is just so perfectly crafted it is thrilling it is scary sometimes there is drama 
it's just a masterwork. I think it's the best. It's it's. I still think it's Anderson's masterpiece. Mm. It really is. Mm. They said I think it's the best film of the 21st century. So, um, there will be blood. Is is my 12. I, I think it is back on Netflix. So I may have to pick it up. Though I obviously I do have the Blu-ray. So there's one I would definitely upgrade the UHD probably. Um, yeah, just, it's perfect. I love it. All right. All right. So my number 13 or no, I'm sorry, number 12 is um a film about a crime that happens in feudal Japan. Um, it's witnessed by several different parties and they're all being questioned they all have a, a slightly different version of the story that's told in flashback akira kurosawa's rashomon is just um a film that's just it has a a technique that has basically been aped many times been copied many times they call it the rashomon effect and he just what he's able to do even with just the shots and the limitations that he had in the the 50s early 50s i think it was 1950 when this thing came out what he's able to accomplish just visually and storytelling wise it's just absolutely riveting it's a beautiful piece of of art yep yeah, it sure oh is. shut up <laughs> so my... <laughs> you get too, a lot of things that you don't realize how much how innovative kurosawa was mm. you know like the swipes from star wars yeah. that's kurosawa yeah that's a hidden fortress. Yeah. The um, shooting the camera up through the leaves to the sky with the sun peeking through. That's Kurosawa. That's Russell Mann. Mm-hmm. But my number 11 is Kurosawa's The Seven Samurai. Oh. Again, I saw that turn into college. Um, a revelatory experience for me. Not the first Kurosawa film I saw. In fact, that may be coming up in a little bit. Uh, but um, probably the second and just one of the grandest adventure movies you will ever see. Like Matt says, you do not feel that three-hour runtime at all. Each character is so fully fleshed out and fully alive. This village is desperate to hire people to protect them from these bandits. You've seen the movie a bunch of times since then as well through all these remakes. But The Seven Samurai did it first and they did it best. So, um, yeah, that's going to be my 11 is the classic Seven Samurai. My 11 then is um, the classic sequel, the the kind of go-to when someone says that a sequel can be better than the original. And as good as The Godfather is, The Godfather Part 2 blows it out of the water. There's something about the film where if it comes on, if I catch a piece of it, I'll just find myself sitting there watching it. No matter how many times I've seen it, um, it just kind of sucks me in every single time I watch it. And just as I said before on one of the previous episodes, just seeing what Al Pacino was able to convey and how subtle of an actor he was compared to what he's become is just is just <laughs> night and day. And it's just, man, it is so good. It just, yeah, it's just, it's a film that just uh, sucks me in. And even if some people say it, it insists on itself. <laughs> That's a great pick, man. Uh, obviously, it was higher up in my list. You know, I picked up that UHD set. Mm. I did. Did and you? I got it yesterday. Okay. And I started watching. Even though I started rewatching all the films on my Blu-rays, yeah. um, I was halfway through part two. I restarted it because of the UHDs. Yeah. And I'm about two thirds of the way through the first Godfather now. It is stunning it's, how much better it looks. Really? It's it's incredible. I'm telling you, this is one of those upgrades. Don't even think twice about it. Okay. You know, um, I bought off a deep discount DVD because um, I had a temp. You know, I signed up for the email. I got a ten percent discount code so i got it for like 65 bucks Mm -hmm. and it has all the films including all three versions of part three in 4k all remastered and from what i understand those other two versions will not be available in 4k going forward you're only going to get coda in 4k going forward but not the original 91 or the 2004 5 version i can't remember now 
if you're if you're on the fence, buy it. All right. It's fantastic. All right. Guess I'll have to pull the trigger then. There you go. Uh, another thing too I bought, just to wrap things up. What? Twilight. Is it Twilight Time? Not Twilight Time. Second Sight. In, I think in April. Okay. Is putting out a UHD box set. Now, this is an import, and I bought it off a Diabolic DVD, because it does have a Region B Blu-ray in it, folks. Just beware that we'll not play here unless you have a region-free player. But it does have a UHD as well, which obviously UHDs, remember, are all region. Mm-hmm. A brand new 4K master approved by the director as well and the cinematographer, Drive. Oh. And it has a gorgeous matte, it's just beautiful deluxe set. You can buy the individual disc too, but that's got like a 200 plus page book with different essays and writings about the movie. Includes the original novel the movie's based on. Mm -hmm. And then all the special features are going to be on the UHD and on the Blu-ray as well. So I'm not losing anything. Um, I did buy their Second Sight Dawn of the Dead set. Mm-hmm. The 4K set on that that has all different versions of the film too. That's stunning. And I was able to rip the uh, the Blu-ray features off of it that weren't on the UHD. So I was able to get those still and watch them, which they're great. Yeah, man. Drive in 4K is coming and I cannot wait. All right, Matt. Let's wrap things up here. Those are our 20 through 11. That, you know what that means? 10 through 1. Oh boy. You could listen, folks. You can probably list off my 10 through one right now. You might not get the order, but you could list them. In the meantime, what are your favorites? Shoot us an email feedback at the first run.com. Matt, next week, we're supposed to do everything everywhere all at once, but I don't have any pre sales available for that yet. So I don't know if we're going to end up doing the Sandra Bullock Channing Tatum film and then we have to push out the other one first. Who knows? It may still show up. We'll keep you posted on that. And then what is the other film we're doing? Do you have the calendar up? I don't have the calendar up. I'm falling down on my one job. You son of a bitch. (laughs) It's supposed to be, um, I have it up here. It's just loading and it's taking forever. And I scrolled too far. Uh, Coda. Ah, yes. The last film, the best pictures that we haven't seen, Mm. which reminds me, Matt, Oscars. Right. Usually we do our Oscar ballots on the show. Who will win? Who should win? But we didn't. And I don't care. Yeah. So what we're, we're still going to do, though, just for the hell of it, is Matt and I will complete our sheets. Uh, and then Matt's going to give me the sheet, and then we'll post it on the website. So you actually just go to thefirstrun.com slash Oscars. At some point this weekend, before the Oscars, I'll have them both up there. And then we can see how it goes. But I am I, I less than care at this point. <laughs> But I feel like an obligation to do it. So I'll just scratch something out. I don't know if I'm going to do any research, Matt. I'm just going to go. Just say the hell with it. Gut. See how we go. Yeah. Go blind. Yeah. yeah just going to do all C's right down the middle. <laughs> um, all right. Check us out. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. to other people find the show. And, of course, thefirstrun.com. Uh, all the shows are archived. So go ahead and check that out. And you can see the TFR report card where you can see all of our grades. If you want a quick little reference, oh, what did they think about Film X? Just Google it or search for it at the website, whatever. And you can see our letter grade and then click right to the show and get those details. In the meantime, um, that's it, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody uh, take care of yourselves. We love you very much. And we will see you soon. Happy Oscars, I guess.